previously on the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. <laughs> so, I mean, have you seen the balls of crap that they roll? If you get stuck in that, you're done. There's no way of getting out. Yeah, probably scarier than a human centipede. Speaking of dung beetles, but you, you didn't you didn't like Japanese Alan Rickman as the the villain? Every movie I'm like, oh, this one's pretty good. We should probably all like this one. Turns out, no, <laughs> we we don't all like this one. You know, horror franchises used to be like a dozen movies, like Freddy versus Jason twelve, when they're like have left hell, and now all they have left is like I don't know the park down the street to fight at. Where else is there? Welcome back to the Kaiju Apostle Podcast, a show where two seminarians discuss and read way too much into giant monster films. I'm David. And I'm one of tonight's Chris's. Yes, because this episode we are discussing the 1974 film Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla. And joining us tonight, well, I say that, I need to stop saying that because it's not always tonight when you're listening, <laughs> uh, is Christian Gonzalez, or as he goes by on Twitter, Seaguns. Uh, How are you doing, Christian? I'm doing great, man. I'm glad to be here. Happy to be on. You gotta, you gotta say though, like, where does uh, where does sea guns come from? All right. So when I was talking to my friend Adam, uh, Adam Milosevic, I don't know if you've heard of him before. His handle is a civic dilemma, and I was like, that's really cool because it's your name. You know, all the letters in your name jumbled together. But I can't make any um, thing like that. Christian Gonzalez. There's nothing that'll come out of that that makes any sense. Oh, see. So I got, yeah, I got Christian Gonzalez, C guns, C guns. So I'm like, there you go. Okay. Reaching, okay. maybe a little bit, maybe reaching. No, I mean, <laughs> now that you say it, I'm like, it makes perfect sense. I just, yeah, that's actually really clever. Okay. I guess. I mean, <laughs> maybe. No, I think it's it's cool. It's cool. But uh no, we are we are glad you're on the show tonight. Well, whenever you're listening tonight, being now. <laughs> um so obviously jumping onto a Godzilla podcast, you have to have some familiarity with the franchise. So where does it begin? All right, so you can definitely say I have familiarity with it. Um I, I, most people say dinosaurs got him into it, but honestly it's been this since I can remember. The earliest mm-hmm. movie I can remember watching was Godzilla vs. Megalon, next to my grandma. I'd watch it like I had. I went through like five VHSs of it because it's. I've seen it so many times, and they either got lost or ruined. <laughs> and yeah, it's been a lifelong thing for me. Yeah, because uh, you you were telling me earlier you're you're helping your I guess future brother-in-law uh, yeah. go through the series as well. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah. So how's that been for you? That's been pretty great, honestly. Like getting to visit it from. Not only just rewatching it from chronologically from start to finish, which I've never actually done. I've kind of just seen them scattershot, but getting to experience it with somebody who's brand new to it and they're like so open to it is pretty rewarding. It is, yeah, absolutely yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, it's great, honestly, especially when when they like it, you know. Yeah. Yeah, not all of them are uh, a plus, but I think no, we've course, kind of I mean. agreed there's something to enjoy. With all of them, um, what's been your uh, your brother in law's favorite one so far? So he's really, and this is funny because you know the reputation it has, but he loves All Monsters Attack or Godzilla's Revenge, which is to me is yeah. one of the best. You know, I I think it's great. People complain about the stock footage, but it's 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 great, honestly. Yeah, it's just it's done in such a creative way that I don't know. It's 
I get why people wouldn't like it if they're going to it for the mayhem and the destructions and the miniatures and stuff like that. But if you enjoy the other stuff in the films, then it's I don't see why yeah. people hate on it. But and you of know, course. it is what it is. Different strokes. But uh but uh, so no, if you, you don't like it, you're wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, just I'm glad you didn't quote Ricky Bobby. I don't want to yeah, yeah. <laughs> censor you out. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Um no, so Obviously, you like Godzilla, um, but the reason I found you online is because of the artwork you do, and at risk of blowing smoke up your rear, like it's really good artwork. So, <laughs> thanks. How did that. you how did you get into that? And like, what's what like? Excuse me. So, how did you get into that? And what are some of the more recent projects that you've done? Have they been mostly like monster related? Like, what's kind of your specialty for those who may not be familiar with you? All right, so to start, uh, my dad, he's really good at drawing. I used to watch him all the time when I was little. And then, you know, I practiced myself. In high school, I gravitated more towards strictly drawing Godzilla stuff, for better or worse, mm-hmm. you know. And then I discovered Matt Frank, who I'm sure you know, he's pretty prominent in the community. I've heard of him. <laughs> Hence all the complaints on Twitter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> anyway, that's another story. But, um, yeah, I study his work to, you know, also for better or worse, I just looked at all his stuff pretty much and i obsessed mm-hmm. over it at that age when i was a teenager practice 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 and then you know i used traditional art and then i started migrating to digital art and then that's where i'm at now so i've been drawing strictly drawing to practice it since high school so like i don't know like 2014 is when i graduated so math you know math yeah. <laughs> close to 10 years yeah close enough close yeah so practicing for 10 years i'd say so who's better, you or your dad? Well, my dad, he <laughs> he is he doesn't really draw. So. Yeah, he doesn't really draw much anymore. He's been busy, but he would more like replicate things, not necessarily mm-hmm. reference them. So he he could replicate anything perfectly, and it was amazing to me. But you know, I I try to create my own things using reference, yeah. but also you know, making something new. So it's hard to say. Yeah, that's. That's the tough thing is like, I remember in high school, you know, I would uh, get these like Dragon Ball Z drawing books. Right. And yeah, that was all right. You know, but if I actually try to draw something from memory or from reference, you know, I'm just garbage. (laughs) Um, And even from like trying to replicate things now, as people have seen uh, when I was doing the the post-it doodles, uh, not very good at all, but it's fun. Man, those are great. Who cares? There are times Um, when you're drawing from memory and you're like, Wait, have I ever, ever ever seen this before? Do I am I even familiar? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You'll be drawing from memory, and then you look at a picture of it, and you're like, "Oh, so I was wrong." Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love the uh, medieval drawings you'll see of people like trying to draw different animals that obviously <laughs> yeah. are commonplace for us now, but back then you're like, "That is not what an oyster looks like." What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, I know. Have you ever seen a cat before? Yeah, they love the snails too. Oh God, the snail one. Yes, that I, I do remember seeing a variation of that. Um, but you did recently do some stuff with the Godzilla Unmade project, right? Yeah, yeah. That was my last big project, I'd say. It was with, um, oh man, I'm blanking on their names. Raphael Coronelli, uh, Steven Sloss, and Daphne. They mm-hmm. were the writers and they were pretty much the spearheads of it. But Steve was the one directing it and all that. So I got in contact with him. He gave me the uh, the bride. And he put me in contact with Daphne and she, you know, I, I saw the script. I talked to her about it. 
we collaborated a lot back and forth spent like a, a month and a half working on the cover that's awesome i had to design the robot two monsters and draw three people which i'm horrible at doing i hate drawing people ironically you know it's we were talking about that it's i i get it i get it i feel like drawing monsters is one thing because yeah, you, know, you can be creative and all that, but humans are. Yeah, you you can make them ugly and it'll still look cool. Yeah, yeah. So didn't you do uh, some work with uh, the Red Man series as well? Yeah, yeah. That was my last official project, I guess you'd say, because Unmade is a fan project. Officially, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, my first publication and most recent one was Red Man, the Kaiju Hunter. I did about like 15 pages of ink work for Matt to help him meet a deadline. So you can see my work there. It's pretty cool. Closest I've ever come to officially drawing Godzilla is drawing a silhouette of Jiras. I'm sure you know who Jiras. <laughs> That's awesome. Bootleg. Godzilla. I didn't know how much you actually <laughs> did in that. That's cool. Yeah, just the line work. And then the colors were by uh, Goncalo Lopez, who's a great colorist. Didn't he? Uh... I'm going to have to pause this. Hold on one second. He said. Oh, God. I guess so. You said Goncalo Lopez. Yeah, for yeah. some reason that that rung a bell i thought he was the guy that did the uh the work on the new ultraman series but i guess not so no you might be thinking i don't even know talk yeah, about the comics so right I'm, the new comics yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I haven't i've read to read those they're awesome I'm, yeah i'm so jazzed so Great. all right you have any questions chris or are you ready to jump right up with chris uh chris number one <laughs> yeah the, oh. the og chris <laughs> no i just i would really say check it out i was just scrolling through his twitter feed for about um longer than i'd like to admit on record and there's some great stuff so thanks man i appreciate that and i'm gonna apologize on uh uh, og chris's behalf you said uh you're having some issues with your computer unfortunately so we're gonna tonight's just gonna be a auditory wonderland (laughs) i'm really excited to do the editing for this (laughs) <laughs> it's going to be astounding beyond belief alright so as we mentioned uh, we are discussing the film Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla not to be confused with Godzilla vs Mechagodzilla 2 or Godzilla against Mechagodzilla uh, this film was released in Japan on March 21st 1974 and Christian if you could read the plot summary that would be swell alright let me see if I can do this I believe in you. Things are rarely as they appear. As Godzilla comes on the scene instilling fear, what happened to our hero of justice, our sign of hope? Instead, we have Godzilla fighting Anguirus, who is normally his bro. In the meantime, a princess predicts the end of the world. When more monsters appear and the vision frightens the poor girl. But thankfully, as the plot moves on, we realize this Godzilla is something deeply wrong. It's really Mechagodzilla with his Godzilla cosplay. And the true trade blows neither able to slay. Then our heroes discover there are aliens afoot, monkey men from outer space, and they're up to no good. They're trying to stop King Caesar from appearing, but despite their attempts, our heroes start cheering. When the lion doggo shows up and gives Godzilla a hand, and sends the aliens packing with unfulfilled demands. With Godzilla the victor the day saved once again, we must ask, what truth can we find in this movie, or will we be stumped once again? Man, you nailed it. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> no, thank you for that. No, it's uh, what's funny the 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 cosplay thing. 
that's that's intentional because I remember when I showed this film to my son the first time he was so confused because there's two Godzillas and I yeah. explained that you know it's a Godzilla disguise and he's like well I I don't get it I was like okay so imagine God's Mecha Godzilla's wearing a costume like you know I showed him one of his costumes he's like oh okay so it's always just kind of been cosplay in my head because of that yeah. okay. so I mean it's just However you got to explain it, I guess. Um, Staff-wise for this film, so this will be the last film that Jun Fukuda directs, which, sadly, depending on who you are, that's a good or bad thing. (laughs) The uh, the script was written by Jun Fukuda, Masami Fukushima, uh, Shinichi Sekizawa. This would also be his last script. And uh, Hiroyasu Yamamura. Tomoyuki Tanaka produced. Uh, this would also be the last score by Masaru Sato, which is definitely a bummer. Um, cinematography was uh, Azuro Aizawa, and then special effects again was Teruyoshi Nakano. Um, so as I'm sure you've noticed, if you've been listening to our show, we've kind of been dialing back on like the context and trivia. Not that it's not important, but as the movies progress, it's just uh, we're realizing a lot of these other shows have I mean, this is a lot of this is common knowledge, right? Um, so we don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that, but we are trying to bring up stuff that we do feel is important or relevant without spending 20 minutes on this. <laughs> um, a couple of points to bring up, which uh, we are indebted again to Dave Collat. Uh, the movie does bear some passing resemblance to both uh, Johnny Sacco and his Flying Robot, which was a TV show, along with, and I feel like this is probably a little bit more obvious, uh, Planet of the Apes. Um Compared to previous films, again, we're uh, we're we're not getting those those staples of actors that we've been used to, right? But we do see more actors here that are recognizable compared to the past few. Um, so Akihiko Harada comes back with Hiroshi Koizumi. Uh, they both have somewhat you know prominent roles in the film, and then of course I'd be remiss if I didn't mention the cameo from Kenji Sahara as the uh, the captain of the boat. Um, yeah, that's really about all I had, apart from, again, mentioning, you know, this would be the last time some of the uh, creatives would be working on the film, which is an absolute shame uh, in regards to Sato, because this is, I would argue, actually, probably my favorite Godzilla soundtrack of all time. Yeah, but, definitely bumps. Yeah, it's, so it, it's good. It is. It is. Uh, so, Chris, if you could do us the honor and read us our poll for this movie. Okay. Yeah, so this time, inspired by Mechagodzilla, um, we asked about our high priest Moist Minya mm-hmm. and asked, uh, did Jun Fukuda miss out by not making Mecha Minya? And I had suggested that a moist robot would be in a little bit of trouble, but even that was the most controversial Twitter opinion. It got quite a bit of push- pushback. Um, so, thankfully, out of the three options, uh, someone said that Minya is still an abomination. So, <laughs> my Twitter handle is at Chris Worms. Feel free to block me now, because uh, I'll block you first. Um, the second option was David, please stop. And I really feel like, uh, you know, when Jesus as a prophet is not welcome in his own town? That's how I feel, David. You are not welcome. Yeah. In your own town. You came to your own and your own did not receive you. And then I mean, finally, it's it's persecution, man. 
You just you gotta stand for the truth. And then thankfully, cooler heads prevailed, and with exactly half of the votes, uh, people said that it is a shame that we never got Mechaminia. <laughs> Which the more I say that out loud, the more I like the feel of it in my mouth. Right. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. You have to say it, Mechaminia. Yeah. Like, now, now here's the thing, Chris. I told Mac- you I was going to save a meme, uh-huh. right? But uh-huh. I'm not going to do it because I wouldn't be able to do it justice. So this is a uh, our meme challenge for the week. So instead of Minya, this is how this is the only way you can make Minya an abomination would be Minions. So you combine uh-huh. Minya with Minions. You know, something just came up. I got to leave. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing right but here's the thing is I know I could do a crappy photoshop it just it wouldn't do it justice so whoever's listening to this you have my blessing run with it you will make buku bucks just oh saying you could capitalize to like the boomers the boomer Godzilla fans it's it's perfect That's true. we'll see a new breed of memes <laughs> you know just those inspirational quotes going on it's it's going to be great That's true because their hatred of minya will be overridden by their desperate need to share every minion meme they see Exactly <laughs> Oh my god Exactly See this is why you're my best friend <laughs> I love the way your brain works All right so Twitter discussion uh so Godzilla versus Mecha Godzilla we got Godzilla Robot Godzilla, an ancient lion slash dog monster, a jazzy AF soundtrack, aliens, action, explosions, what isn't to love? But tell us, what are your thoughts? Does this movie deserve the hype or is it half baked? Is it not quite ripe? So to be honest, almost all of the comments were positive. So I had to kind of double dip. I try to not share the same person week after week, but I had to double dip for the negative comment here. Um, so we had a uh, Rafael Cornelli who was brought up previously um, in regards to the Godzilla unmade project. He said, Masaru Sato was an absolute wild man on the score for this one. I agree. Amen. Brian T. Alexander said, this is one of the best. It has an energy to it that had been missing from many of the previous films. Uh, Yoink, which appreciate you stopping by, by the way. It was, uh, it was good to see you around. Uh, Motoyoshi, uh, sorry, bleh. Motoyoshi, sorry, okay. Motoyoshi Tomoyoka and Takeshi Yamamoto did an incredible job with the cinematography on the effects side of things. There's a reason those Mecha Godzilla hanger shots are so iconic, which as a kid, I was always so impressed with those <laughs> scenes. And it's just a wash of nostalgia. It's wonderful. Yeah, I could see that. Here's our, uh, our more critical comment from Luke Giaconetti, which Love you, Luke, but obviously you're the only negative comment here, really. Um, I've never gotten all the love this movie gets, uh, honestly. I find it slow and more than a little plotting in spots. Much prefer its follow-up. Eager to give it another go, however, which we appreciate that. Hopefully you feel uh, a little bit more positively. Yeah, hopefully you feel a little bit more positively. Uh, whatever, I'm just leaving that in. Um, and then Willis Space Tree Studios. Best comment. It has a scene where the evil monkey man throws a folding chair down the stairs at someone during the epic chase scene on a cruise ship. 11 out of 10 best movie. Well, Honestly, though. I'll drink to that. I'm drinking water, by the way. I already <laughs> drank all my wine. So, talking points. Chris, as usual, yeah. 
since this is the first time you've seen the movie, let us know. How did it work for you? This one is kind of funny. Um, the tonal shift in this movie between itself and the previous ones, I like. I, I have a lot of thoughts. So let me start with this one. There's something so weird about this jazzy soundtrack and these bright special effects and all of the blood. Like, I'm and like, it's bright blood. Yeah. Green blood, red blood, it's all kinds of blood. It's great. I'm like, who is this made for? This is gory. Um, but yeah, I also, maybe we should start doing this. Like, now, I, this is not the movie that I thought this was going to be. Mm-hmm. We should start asking, what do you think this movie is going to be about? Because I just thought this was going to be like a brawl between Godzilla and Robo Godzilla. And now there's like the dog man and the alien. <laughs> the dog man. Where, where, where the hell is this coming from? <laughs> like, it's just not what I expected at all. Yeah. I thought this was like government think tank makes a robot to kill Godzilla. And no, it's not. Um, that would be a great idea. Well, uh, Godzilla versus QAnon. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Um, the secret underground cults are taking our kaiju. Back at Pizzagate. Um, oh my god. Um, but yeah, I for not having any idea what this was about, I, I dug it. Um, I like the I like the jazziness, and I don't even notice soundtracks, so it's kind of saying something that I noticed this one. Um, I was a little surprised that there's any negative because I actually thought the monster fights were even a little bit more entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I could see why, like. It did kind of shift a little, like, what was it with the atomic breaths? Um, I kind of felt like this is the shift from regular Toku into maybe more uh, special effecty stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if that's going to become a long-term trajectory we're on. You can't tell me. Um, for those people not watching at home, David just shushed me. <laughs> I didn't shush you. I just mums the word. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I I liked it. I didn't know that it had negative detractors. But like I said, like I said, if a monster, if the monster fights can get me back in, I'm all for it. Yeah, and that is surprising to hear because we have established that that's not the thing that uh that hooks you at all. Um, but I think we talked about that last time though. Is there's just always going to be controversial opinions, and by by no means what Luke said was controversial at all. But it's it's one of those things where I've I've just realized that your favorite Godzilla movie will be someone's least favorite Godzilla and vice versa, right? So there's there's always going to be someone that oh, I doesn't know. enjoy it. Mine though. already is. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's the movie you haven't even seen. I already know people don't like Son of Godzilla. Oh, I thought you were talking about ninety eight. <laughs> it's number two. So uh, what about you, Christian? I mean, I, I, I know that you said you've seen this a few times growing up, but as yeah. an adult, you know, does that movie still hold a special place for you or what's kind of your, uh, your, your take on it? Well, first let me preface this entire conversation by saying that I love Fukuda and Godzilla movies. They're my favorite. They're, they're so good because they have the most like flavor, you know, like his costume design, his scenery, like all his decisions are like, just, like, it's like, it's whatever the hell he wanted to make first, and then a Godzilla movie second, you know? It's like, mm-hmm. it's not necessarily Godzilla-driven movies. Like, the sea monster is definitely not, 
this movie was, you know, like Godzilla's part of the prophecy and all, but it could still function as a movie without Godzilla in a way. Mm-hmm. Most of his mm-hmm. movies, maybe not this one so much because it's, you know, but I, I just like his his flavor. You know, his his it feels so like Showa. That to me, that's what defines the Showa series is like the visuals of his movies the most. The cinematography yeah. is on point in this movie. It's so good. The shot of the uh, the explosion when the cars parked across the uh, like the the lake, or the river, the bay, mm-hmm. whatever. When Godzilla's fighting Mech Godzilla for the first time, the explosions and that composite shot's like so good to me. It's it's great, you know. And funny you mentioned the beam because that's the first time we see a beam clash in the Godzilla franchise. I'm pretty sure. And it's ridiculous. Mecha Godzilla goes on yeah. forever. Yeah, I know. Like, I was thinking about that. Like, so Monsters vs. Men, they talked about uh, Gamma vs. Gauss and how, I guess, every time there's one of those yellow beams that Gauss would shoot out, it was a decent amount of money because however the effects there <laughs> work. And I'm like, how much did it cost for them to do this? Because they weren't repeating the same scenes, you know? Yeah, like, it, was, these are, it was unique stuff. Yeah, in the like, show series, they were so animated, actually. The effects, they were all, like, hand-animated. Yep. You can tell they're kind of cartoony looking. It's because they were literally hand animated. So I can imagine the poor guy who had to make Mechagodzilla's onslaught. <laughs> oh, man. That must not be fun. Interesting. What were you going to say, Chris? Oh, I just... Well, he was like talking about the animated uh, the animated look. That's so interesting. Yeah. yeah. There's, a, there's a book about it, but it's in Japanese. I haven't... You know, I can't read Japanese, but... <laughs> Okay. Well, get on it. We want to know. Well, hey, we, listen, we've got I, we've got time. I studied it for two years. To stop listening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Translate it, but someone should translate it. Yeah, for free. for free. It's translate it for the exposure. Come on, for the fans. That's <laughs> for the exposure. I'll give you some exposure. Though. Yeah, Christian, you're an artist. That's very yeah. valuable. Yeah, yeah. I'm speaking I, your I would, language, man. I would pick someone offering exposure over money any day of the week. It's the best. <laughs> Are you listening, commissioners? Yeah, I yeah. eat exposure for breakfast. <laughs> I pay my landlord exposure. It's yeah, great. Yeah. That's what I oh, tell them. I don't think the landlord wants your exposure. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to echo pretty much what you guys said. So I love it. I grew up. I was telling Christian before we started recording. I mean, I guarantee I watched this movie at least 50 times as a kid. I mean, it's which may not seem like a lot, but as a kid, it absolutely is. Right. So, I mean, I, I grew up watching it. it. It was, you know, when I first started watching it again as an adult, like it wasn't music's really important to me, but it wasn't one of those things where I'll watch some of these films and be like, oh, yeah, like now I kind of remember, like I knew right off the bat every single scene what the music musical cue was like. There was nothing about it that took me by surprise. And it's it's just one of those films that will always be like iconic Godzilla to me. I think exactly why you said Christian is like Jun Fukuda made the movie he wanted to make and Godzilla was involved. Right. And I think sometimes that's what we need. We've, we've talked about that, how some of the more unique um, or the more risk taking films in the genre are some of the most enjoyable ones. Um, Like I'm thinking of like Matanga, right? Technically not a Kaiju film, but still to this day one of the more enjoyable ones I've seen because it's so unique. It's so different. Um and plus just I mean the action scenes are great. Uh the whole just idea of having 
alien. I mean, we've had the aliens before, but the way that they invade and they incorporate themselves into the plot, it's just super engaging. You don't really know. I guess if you've never seen it, you won't know, right? You know how it's going to go. There's enough unique plot points in this film to make it where you don't feel like you've already seen the same script over and over and over again, even though, you know, yes, King Kong escapes did do the mechanical doppelganger the first time. And yes, we have seen aliens, but it's just, it's fresh enough and there's enough life in the movie to keep it from feeling redundant in my opinion. Yeah. It's not, it's not another like invasion. Yeah. The the alien stuff is very underplayed in this movie. And I like that. I think it's better for it. They don't make it a big yeah. deal, like, oh, there's aliens, they're invading. No, it's like, they've been incorporated for, the guy said, what, six months Interpol was chasing him? So mm-hmm. that's pretty That's pretty interesting. Yeah, and that that whole element is so cool, too. Like, I've, I don't remember who I was listening to. Maybe it was Monsters vs. Men. I can't remember, but just the thought of, like, they should have done a spinoff of, like, having <laughs> that guy TV as an Interpol series. agent. Like, it would have been such, like, turning that into, like, an Ultraman show would have yeah, been so could've. cool, right? I mean, technically, Toho did make his own fighter and all that, but I don't know. It's just, it's unique enough um, that I, it's unique enough that I think it would have been enjoyable. But in regards to the uniqueness, something here that we've, we've seen before, but it's done in a different way is the idea of prophecy, right? So we touched on this with Ghidorah, the three headed monster where, you know, Princess Salno in that movie, um, her her predictions were more directed in regards to, I mean, it, it, it's, let's put it this way. So she went out to the masses, right, and started preaching and trying to get people to, you know, to run away because Ghidorah was coming, which is interesting because we see Ghidorah here, but there's no Ghidorah to be found in her vision. Um, but this time around, the prophecy is a little bit more self-contained. Um, it's actually in regards to a uh, a myth or a a story that's been surrounded around her family. So I just wanted to take a minute and just kind of spend a little bit of time talking about you know the difference between this idea of future telling prophecy, right, and what the Bible actually says about prophecy. Because I don't think we did get into that much with the Ghidorah movie. So, Chris, being our Old Testament uh, resident theologian, I mean, what would you say in layman's terms would be the difference between the two? Yeah, I think I think the difference is, like, future-telling, even in terms of, like, this movie was still symbolically future-telling. Mm-hmm. Um, like, the sons or whatever. But I think a lot of what when the Old Testament talks about prophecy, it's not necessarily future telling, as much as it's actually revealing what's going on in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, or or usually the, it's not usually about averting, the prophecy itself isn't the disaster. The prophecy itself is telling you like, what to look out for. Um, to like maybe prevent a different disaster. So like, I'll use an example. So like the really famous one, the Emmanuel prophecy of Isaiah seven, um, the the their actual problem is Israel's apostasy and unfaithfulness, but the prophecy talks about like, this coming child who's going to be the sign of God's faithfulness instead. So like it's not necessarily telling the future, so the prophet can go, "Hey, 
I can tell the future. What can you do? The the point of prophecy is more saying this is this is how God's going to show Himself faithful now, and then in light of that, you can trust that when I say that Israel's doomed, this sign proves that. So you need to repent. You need to change. So the prophecy helps you change. So it's not about just telling the truth. For, it's not about telling the future just for the sake of things like it, but about getting people to change their way mm-hmm. and about getting people to like repent. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I mean, you know, I, and Christian, I would actually like to hear about this cause I know you said you grew up and going to like a Christian school and stuff. Yeah. So I know growing up Mormon, you know, there, there definitely was this idea of prophecy, right? And it's, it's a little bit different than how typical evangelicals or even Catholics or just general Protestants would view it. But the thing I'm curious about, and we can come back to this in a minute, is how did we take a shift from what you're saying here, right? So with Moses, right, he was a prophet, not because he predicted the future, but he would be God's mouthpiece, and he would really call them from the place that they were at, and he would call them to what would potentially be their new future, right? So it, he wasn't talking about how things are. He was talking about how th- the way things could be. And again, it's not like, a you know, if you do this in four weeks, this will happen. But it's like, hey, you guys are living in captivity. I'm here to set you free, right? We're wandering around in the wilderness. I'm here to set you free. Like it's it's a way to call into existence God's desired way of living, and how you can get to that point. And obviously there's different capacities even within that as well, but it is interesting that, you know, the role of the prophet went from being, you know, God's mouthpiece and speaking, you know, about how things should be to now the view of prophecy, whether it's in these films or just the general population itself is this, I mean, think about Harold Camping, right? Trying to predict, you know, when the world would end, you know, it's this idea of, it's really like soothsaying, right? Which... Yes, there's a few instances of that in the Bible, but very rarely is that the general consensus, let alone the role of a prophet itself. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Christian, you know, you growing up in, you know, a Christian school, um, kind of what was your experience? I mean, did you deal with that much growing up? Is that something you've been around? Kind of would like to hear, you know, your thoughts on that. Well, it's been it's been a minute since I've, you know, delved into this stuff. So I'm out of, I'm out of touch. Yeah. For a bit, but um, like for the the examples you gave, uh, one one example that Chris gave was more of a this is gonna happen. This is what you can do to, you know, prepare for it. Kind of, am I right in saying that? Yeah. And then what? This um, is how you know to prepare. Yeah, yeah. And then what you were saying about Moses is more of like a call to action. I guess you'd say mm-hmm. more of like we could. It's not saying that this will happen, but if we take action and you know it could happen like it's it's certainly a, an outcome that could be that is foreseeable like whether it be a given or not but it, it, it one requires like a call to action and the other one's more like a it's gonna happen but you can prepare for it i don't know if that makes any sense because mm-hmm. i was thinking in terms of the movie at least it's not a very in Ghidorah, it seemed more like okay this is gonna happen so, like, get ready for it. You can't do much about it. Just She never really tells him what you can do. It's just, this is going to happen. Okay, what do we do about it? And in this one, it's more like the people had to make it happen in a way. 
they had to get the statue. They had to take it to where it had to be. So it, it fulfilled uh, the Moses type prophecy, if you will, where it was more like this could happen like this if you know you follow the steps that we've told you, essentially. Mm-hmm. Or I could yeah. be entirely wrong. Who knows? The other question is just kind of like, when does prophecy become just like a plot device? Yeah, yeah of explains, course. Yeah, when it explains like a convenient plot point, and when does it actually drive the story? Which it, I think is like the Star Wars thing, where Anakin has to be the chosen one because oh, he's special. You were the right? chosen one. Yeah, but I think I think the difference is like biblical prophecy is like. It's not about pushing the plot. It's about like avoiding the plot almost. Like you're <laughs> going this way, and I would rather you didn't. Whereas totally a lot it. of movie prophecy is like, there's nothing you can do about this. I'm just giving you a heads up. It's like, I guess I'd rather be surprised if I can't do anything about it. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd say I'd say this the you know the whole prophecy thing might seem kind of um, sort of contrived in this movie, but. If you read into what the what it is, and you like catch all the context, it's kind of. I mean, it pretty much tells you the movie, like the one when the uh, it says the I wrote down um, when a black mountain rises above the clouds. Okay, what's up with the black mountain? Like that's just some random like BS. But actually, he says it looks like a black mountain Fuji, and then I I had written down that it's, it could allude to the idea of like the shadow self, you know, a black mountain Fuji, AE like. The shadow version of Mount Fuji, in extension, the shadow version of Godzilla, which we'd see in the movie, and then Mecha Godzilla comes out of a black mountain, which is also, I think, is Mount Fuji he comes out of. So in a way, it's not just random; like it feels, it's kind of symbolic, symbolic. It's symbolic of things to come in the movie, but not in like mm-hmm. a blatant way. If that makes any sense. Yeah. No, I, I agree with that. And I don't think it's just a cheap plot device because for, in my opinion, you know, we're seeing a family that's dedicated themselves to this, this yeah. truth, right? It's their truth. And even it's this, it's longing of hope, which of course, or oh, excuse me, it's this longing that they're, they're putting their hope in, right? Which is, which isn't much different than Israel, right? You know, they were longing mm-hmm. for a Messiah you know, and they knew they knew what the story said, but obviously, you know, to be the people that could actually see that come to fruition, like it has to be an amazing thing, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I don't think it's just a plot device because there's enough substance in there to actually make it where if you took that out, it would radically affect the movie, right? It's not something cool. where if you just took the the princess out, all of a sudden now you're like, well, what do you got? You know, it's it's it actually means something. And that's, you know, going into that, you know, I think it's uh, one of those things where I was I was talking to Christian about this before. You know, I've seen this movie so many times where like I've I've grown so comfortable with it that I really had to like push myself to think outside of the bounds here. So just this idea, I'm really indebted to Eric from Monsters vs. Men because we're chatting a little bit about it. But, you know, uh, me. uh Mirabi's prayer. Um, so I was going to read that really quick. So even the great burning sun pierces through the curtain. Beautiful morning sun from sleep. The star wakes my Caesar. Beloved star of the beach, we are waiting for you to be here. Caesar, strongly help. Hear the young children's lament. The tears on their cheeks. Grant us your help. Listen, my heart is burning, is burning. 
Caesar, 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 King Caesar. Even the great burning sun pierces through the current, beautiful morning sun. From sleep, the star wakes, my Caesar. Beautiful fruit of the coconut tree, we are waiting for you to be here. Caesar, strongly help. Red king of the day, I am calling you. Listen to my request. Grant me this. Listen, my heart is waiting, waiting. And then, you know, repeating the Caesar refrain. And obviously, like, the Psalms aren't the only prayer out there that kind of have this feel, right? I don't want to make it seem like everything we're talking about with these (laughs) movies, like, oh, of course they base it off Christianity. No, that's not the case. But as I was reading these lyrics, I was like, this definitely, like, you just need to tweak a few things and it it definitely would fit in the Psalm book, right? So what's interesting to me again Mm -hmm. is, you know, we're, we're seeing a prayer here that isn't just, you know, how do we incorporate a song so that we can have a, you know, a actual singer lend her pipes to the film. But like when you understand what she's actually saying, like, again, this is the cry of a a family, a people that have longed to see the fruition of this prophecy come to place. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So again, you know, I'm going to push, you know, push on you, Chris, being more familiar with Hebrew scriptures than I am. Like, do you agree with that assessment? Like I, like seeing the similarities there, like as you heard the words, like what were, you know, some of your thoughts there? Yeah, it definitely, um, it's like trust in this dependency. is mm-hmm. so different. Like we're so, we're so unused to the way that um, people would trust in like God or just deities in general for help. Like this sense of like helplessness in the world around you. Um, so I think it kind of like, this song kind of plays into this weird theme of um, almost helplessness of like building Mecha Godzilla as an attempt for defense and then like rebuilding later. Right. We'll talk about that in a sec. Mm-hmm. Uh, trusting in uh, King Caesar for help. And then um, I don't know. It's a, it's such an interesting, like this isn't really your question, but I'm going to bring this in anyway. Like we've seen like, Godzilla and other kaiju become like more heroic as time has gone on these past couple movies and um now they're now we're waiting for another one to be heroic it really gave me strong Mothra vibes mm-hmm. I, was gonna, I was gonna bring that up yeah yeah I can see that so it's kind of it, but there's like a subversion that King Caesar isn't exactly our good guy mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's weird because like when you hear that song, like when you were reading it out loud, you're hearing it and you're like, oh man, I hope this person gets help. And then in the context of the movie, you're like, no, no, I don't want them to get help. Wait, I want Godzilla to win. Yeah. What's funny you bring that up, the the song is very, well, the version I, I wrote myself was based on the Criterion subtitles. And it's a little mm-hmm. more like, I guess you'd say uh, King Jamesy, or it's a little... <laughs> You know, a little little watered down compared to the original, sure. I guess that you'd say. But um, part of mine says, uh, on the beach I wait beneath fading stars. And then there's another one. Come striding to me boldly over blue coral. You got um, beneath the palm trees I wait. Come to me boldly through the red dago flowers. It's different in your interpretation. But all these things evoke imagery of Okinawa, of like the, the island, like their home. So it's very like mm-hmm. intrinsically tied to their background. Is very Okinawa specific. Like they mentioned the red dago flowers. That's very um 
Okinawan, and they symbol they symbolize uh, summer, like the start of summer in Okinawa. So it's very specific. Whereas Mothra's could be more generalized, this one's very very specific to Okinawa and to their family. Interesting. See, I was sitting there at work and being like, "Man, I wish I had the Criterion version I could reference." And then I remembered. I have HBO Max. I could have pulled <laughs> that up, but I relied on a Wikizilla. Yeah. So, yeah, it is interesting too how you can get to the different translations there. Um, but yeah, you're you're right. It's very rooted. Like it wasn't, you know. What's interesting, June. I I think yeah, June Fukuda actually wrote the lyrics. Um, yep. So June Fukuda wrote the lyrics for the song, um, which was interesting. Usually, it's uh, Shinichi Sekizawa, and. It is interesting just, again, these aren't just like generic words. Like there's a very situate, like it's situated in the the place that they live and they love. And it's, it's again, that you're, everything you're saying there just reminds me of what we see in the Psalms, right? I mean, David isn't just saying these abstract things. Like it's a very real, like rooted in his experiences and his world. Yeah. So this prayer that she's uttering, like, it's definitely not something that is just, you know, those those prayers that I give when I need, like, God, you know, like, help me get through today. You know, it's just, like, <laughs> so generic white bread prayer, but it's an actual, like, it's birthed from, not only from hope, but there's also some pain here mm-hmm. as well, right? So, Longfulness. yeah, it's, uh, it's just, it's something that we we haven't really seen anything. Like, yes, we've had the Mothra prayers and all that but this just feels so different to me than what we've had with that um i don't know why it's just yeah i just i can't put my finger on it. it's just it does feel more unique i think it's than I what think we've it's had so of, far uh, i think it's because the mothra song i'm just looking at the lyrics now it's more mothra oriented whereas the caesar song is more like like the, their bonds like like the bond between mm-hmm. them and Caesar, whereas Mothra is like, you know, you'll come, you're a guardian angel, all that. But this one's mm-hmm. much more personal. It's more rooted in their ancestry, I guess you'd say, the, the Azumi royal family. Yeah, it's yeah. more more personal to them. Like, yeah, I can see that, and and maybe that's it. You know, again, not even really knowing the lyrics. I mean, yes, I've seen them pull up on screen, but I'm not going to say I've sat there and yeah. studied it, right? Yeah, but. Yeah, not necessarily knowing the words. It's it definitely has more of that uh, intimate feel to it. I think. Okay, um, can I just real quick plug that the fact that you two had different like readings of the same like goes back to our discussion on translation, absolutely and interpretation yeah. anyway. But also like this whole idea that like this is why we have so many voices. This is why we have so many versions in play. That we mm-hmm. can do this and say like, because this version on, uh, I use Gochipedia. What's this? Uh, Wikizilla. Oh, whatever. Um, <laughs> house divided. Um, <laughs> the fact that it was so, it was generic, it was vague, but the criterion was very personal. It, it's kind of a nice little like uh, shot in the arm of feeling good about reading into this stuff because mm-hmm. it's, maybe there's reasons we continue to investigate maybe there is a little more down there wink wink wait so you're saying the king james isn't the best version of the bible uh it was good enough for jesus therefore it's good enough for me amen all right let's stand
Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> the last talking point here, and this is getting more into the ethics, which is kind of my bread and butter. Um, or maybe margarine, depending on what you choose. So one of the things that really stood out to me this time around watching it is really watching how uh, Akihiko Harada, his character, has to decide to save his family um, in order to, like, he has to repair Mechagodzilla in order to save his family from the aliens, from the black hole playing at three. Um <laughs> You know, and what got me thinking about that was I've been listening to a debate uh, that is hosted on the Unbelievable podcast oh, no. between David French and Eric Metaxas. And Eric Metaxas is a Christian author, radio host. Um, he's written a few biographies that I would not recommend. Um, <laughs> one of them being on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who is uh, a very influential um theologian, pastor, writer, pretty much martyr in my life. Um, David French being a conservative uh, thinker. He was a lawyer, stuff like that. So anyway, they're debating and Eric Metaxas brings up the fact that um, it's not a proven fact, but brings up the, the idea or the belief that Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a avowed pacifist, or at least a practic practitioner of nonviolence, um, got to the point of being so dismayed and distraught and just not knowing what to do with the fact that there is a Nazi Germany that he, along with others, planned to kill Hitler, which is where we see the idea of Project Valkyrie, um, which Tom Cruise did star in the movie, but I don't think they mentioned Bonhoeffer at all in that because it still isn't proven that Bonhoeffer actually was involved. But the thing is, he was arrested on suspicion of being a part of this and was martyred as a result. Right, so... His argument was that even someone like Bonhoeffer would make that decision of, well, Hitler's bad enough. I need to do something to save Germany and save the world, right? So obviously, we're not really to that extreme here, I would not say. Uh, I don't think Godwin's law comes into play with Godzilla versus Mechagodzilla. But the, I think the question really, I thinking about it, though, like, you know, what would you do? I think we're all in different situations here, right? So I'm married and I have kids. Uh, Christian, you're getting ready to be married. And then Chris, you're married to the church, right? So <laughs> I'm just being honest. Um, but we're all in different positions, right? So I can't assume, you know, one or the other, um, how you guys would do that. But I know in my situation, right? Like if someone kidnapped my family and they're like, you know, the only way to save them would be to repair this giant monster robot cyborg that potentially will end the world and kill countless others. I mean, I would like to think that I would be, okay, I'm going to trust the Lord enough here that, you know, I don't want to cause the death of others because I mean, look at exactly what happened. He fixes it thinking his, his daughter and the other guy, they're going to be saved and he gets thrown in and they're about to get killed. Right. So, mm -hmm. I mean, it's a typical generic villain plot. You can't trust the villains. You know, so I would like to think that, you know, Lord, you're going to protect me. Or, you know, even if you don't, like, I would rather be faithful to you than potentially cause the destruction of countless others. But I don't know what I would do. I don't, right? If I saw my family getting dragged off, like, 
I would probably, in all honesty, I, I would suspect I would cave in. So I think it's easy to judge from the outside looking in in that situation. But, you know, thankfully, Mechagodzilla didn't really kill anybody else. But what if he did? Like, mm-hmm. do you think the movie would have handled that? Like, what are your guys' thoughts about that scene in general? Well, if I may, uh, you know. You may. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I actually, you know, thinking, I read, I read through the, you know, the outline. I saw the question. I was like, that's a good question because, you know, um, obviously in the situation, he kind of doesn't save his family. But if you read into it a little bit, it, him deciding to fix Mechagodzilla, which, Okay, first off, like, why do they need him to do it? He's a human being. Anyways, um, the decision for him to fix it kind of speaks to if if you if you subscribe to the notion that Godzilla has become this savior figure in the Showa series at this point, it kind of speaks to his faith in Godzilla to ultimately be able to defeat Mechagodzilla. And it's funny because mm-hmm. you said, you know, you'd probably be thinking, Lord, help me through the situation. He's probably thinking the same thing in regards to their savior in their world, which is Godzilla, ironically mm-hmm. speaking. And, mm-hmm. you know, and ultimately he does decide to go back and try to sabotage their plan. But the fact that he was willing to do so, knowing that Godzilla would probably save them, it, you know, to me speaks to him as more faithful than you might, you know, presume. Mm-hmm. What about you, Chris? Um, I really like that point. So I just want to say that I think that's the difference between, um, you know, keeping what you said, looking on the outside, looking in, mm-hmm. it's hard, it's hard to like assign too much blame. And I think that's kind of what you were saying. Um, that's just where I'd say like the Christian hope is resurrection. Mm-hmm. That like, if something is to happen, we have that on the other end to look forward to like our faithful death is met with a faithful resurrection. But from the outside, like, I mean, I think I think Christian, you put it well. If you have Godzilla, you're like, ah, shoot, this is what I have to do, and just hope, hope the higher power fixes it. Exactly, mm-hmm. the higher power. I didn't yeah. think about it that way, but I like it. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, it's just tough. So the reason I asked that, and I, I kind of want to open this up to you guys as well. So I remember having a discussion with uh, my wife's best friend a few years back. Um, we, we butt heads like billy goats, right? So there is a conversation about how we don't own a gun in the house. And I have no issue with people owning weapons at all. Um, but we just, we don't. And I got two guns right here. You didn't see, but he actually pulled out two revolvers. It was, it was pretty cool, like old Western revolvers. <laughs> um, and he spun them. so intimidated right now yeah i uh i may have just uh wet myself anyway so we had brought up the fact that we don't want a gun right and she's like well what would happen if someone broke into your house and threatened to rape your wife and i'm like well first of all why does everyone jump to like such a nasty conclusion like I, I would, from what I've read, majority of people will go in, try to steal something and leave. Most people aren't actually trying to kidnap, rape, mm-hmm. murder kind of things. But again, let's, let's imagine they tried to do that, right? You know, that's one of the things we're being, you know, in studying just peacemaking at Fuller and going into nonviolent ethics. You know, what's really encouraging is looking at how effective nonviolent, um, 
I'm trying to think de-escalation would be, you know, reading um, testimonies of people who would have someone break into their house and, you know, they, they wake up and there's a guy like holding a gun over them, right? And they de-escalate the situation to the point of inviting this person over, letting them sleep on their couch and fixing them breakfast the next morning and being like, just go in peace, right? Like just mm -hmm. affirming that person's humanity and letting them leave because they realize that, you know, this person is just as scared as they are. You know, there's there's a hundred and five different ways these situations play out. It's just interesting to me that, you know, everyone just assumes, again, if someone breaks in, you got to shoot them, right? You know, because that's the only way to deal with that. So I, I ask that because, again, looking at the situation, you know, his decision was, well, I'm going to fix Mechagodzilla, right? Because I want to save my family. So... If the aliens are aliens, is there any chance to have a peaceful resolution here? Was there any chance for him to appeal to their, I would say humanity, but they were ape people. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like it's, again, I know it's a movie. I know it's a Godzilla movie, but that's our point is we're thinking too deeply about this. Like, you know, was that the only route for him to go? I don't know. Does that make sense though? Like, I'm just, I'm thinking about that because you know, I think this has real world implications in our own lives where there's always going to be a time where, you know, there's going to be a very logical decision to make. And we have to make that decision of what does, you know, maybe it's the right thing to do, we think, but what does wisdom say? Like, and is doing the right thing always the right thing? I don't know if that's two separate questions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, what was like the, 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 like the main question? Like you're asking if, if it was if he, if he oh, think man, he could have resolved uh, it peacefully with them? Yeah, saying? yeah, yeah. Just because in thinking of implications in our own lives, like how that actually plays out. Because I mean, that's it's you know as a car salesman, right? I mean, there's times where people will come in, and I know there's something that we still need to fix on a car, and theoretically, I could hide that thing and save us a thousand dollars, and we would make that money. I would make that money, but is that the right thing to do? No, of course not. Could I? not do that and they would be fine and they probably wouldn't find out for a couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. But that's not the right thing to do. Right. So we're always going to be faced with that thing of like, we could do something that benefits us and may, it might be the easy way or whatever. So I just, again, just kind of thinking like, what were other routes that he may have taken here? And I don't, I don't even know where we're at in the conversation. I'm so tired. <laughs> well, it's like with, um, what were the what were those aliens? The ones that were trying to wipe out humanity. Which ones? Because, They're all doing it. <laughs> they oh, all know, want to. I know. The ones that did it because like their planet was wiped out and now humans all are the, doing the same thing. To, oh, the uh, nebu the nebula. First guy again. The roaches. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, the roaches. Um, it was kind of a similar question then. Where was peace in that? Mm -hmm. Um, I I really don't want to be that guy, but I am. It's such a hard question when there's like kaiju involved. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, but you could look at it as kaiju are just metaphors. Well, what I would say is going back to the whole higher power thing, Godzilla would have just probably wiped them out anyways. Honestly, like it, whether whether or not he decided to or not, like you know, could we resolve things with them? I think in the movie, as you know, the savior of the planet, Godzilla would have ultimately just just like wreck them because that's his you know his objective is to protect at all costs kind of like you know gamma guarding the universe all that stuff but you know i mean in uh in astro monster don't they end up having 
like ambassadors to Planet X after the movie. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess something Not similar. After. Oh yeah, like they, they sent Glenn in the middle. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. they sent Glenn after to go, you know, be the ambassador. So mm-hmm. I guess I mean. Maybe after you know the Godzilla destroyed Mechagodzilla, they could have tried setting up negotiations, but I don't know. weren't they like wasn't their planning about to be sucked into a black hole or something? Isn't that why they were doing that? I guess I don't know. I don't remember. I mean, it says third planet from the black hole, and I, I'm pretty sure it will be sucked into the black hole at some point. So I don't know if you could we're, reason with them because to them they're sucked into the black hole at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I don't know if you could reason with the people who are like trying to save their entire planet, you know, like, yeah. In real, I, I don't know if we're like, we are. I, I don't know. I'm confused. Are we like talking about the movie or? <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to like, because oh. I, <laughs> I have very different. Always... I have very different answers based on <laughs> if I'm talking about a silver jumpsuit gorilla man or a guy robbing me in my home, you know, like I have yeah. very different answers. But I, but I mean, I think that's kind of what we we try to do, though, is just ultimately, like, I think, you know, maybe I am stretching on this one more than normal. Um, I know I've had a super long day today and just having a sick baby and everything's not helping. But I just again, I just I think of just that scene there in general. It's just so easy to overlook. Like I said, just that decision he has to make. You know, it's not easy. Right. And I just I think of there's countless times in our own lives we have to make those ethical decisions of if I do this, like people are going to be affected by it. Right. And we don't always think that through. So when I saw that the other night, I was just like, man, like, what are things that I'm doing in my own life that like, you know, I think maybe I'm doing the right thing by protecting people. But like, or, you know, I'm doing the right thing by taking care of my family. Right. But ultimately, is it really the right thing? Mm. I think yeah. I think that's really what I'm getting at is what we perceive to be the right thing is not always the right thing. You know, so in that situation, he tried to, you know, so what would have ended up happening if Godzilla didn't save him? Right. What if King Caesar wasn't awakened? Like then Mecha Godzilla would have gone in and the whole world would have been invaded just because this guy allowed his fear of his his child to get the best of him. Like. That would have been a very dour movie. Yeah, that would have been a a downer for a Fukuda movie, for sure. Yeah. So, obviously, they're in charge of the script. That's not what happened. I just... No, it's, it's just interesting things, to think like about I said, it. It's just, yeah, I never really thought about it till this last viewing. And I'm like, again, I don't... I would like to think I know what I would have done. But as a parent and a husband, I mean... It's very easy to, you know, when my son's upset, okay, fine, you know, you can get that toy or yes, we'll watch another episode of Ultraman. That's actually the more usual one is yes, we'll watch another episode kind of thing because he gets sad. So I'm like, I know how easy it is for me to cave in there in that situation. God, like, I doubt I would do the ideal ethical thing, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. So Chris... What are you gonna lay on us here? Because I know oh, you've just, I, I, you just this, the look on your face, seeming energy of just thoughtfulness and care. Um, yeah, I just really have to say, like, just as this this family looked to the coming of King Caesar, uh, we as Christians look for our coming King Jesus, and it's just as they said, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus," uh, or they said, "Come quickly, King Caesar." We say, "Come quickly, Lord Jesus." And even more, um, picking Christians, um, 
He said that that flower, the Dago flower, is associated with summertime. Jesus in Mark 13 says you should pray that judgment comes in the summer and not the winter. Let's get a little deep dive. So you didn't bring up the fact that King Caesar is in a cave and, you know, Jesus was... You know, David, cave. I think you've just joined me on the deep insight train that I'm in. Um, let's all welcome David. <laughs> oh, I love oh man. See, there's just good, so though. many in this movie. Just yeah. like, um, just like you know how Mechagodzilla is himself an anti-god, an anti-Christ. Okay. Yeah, that's the that's the route that's I was expecting. Yeah, that's the easy one though, and. Yeah. Um, the only thing that's a not a Christian insight is that there are apes and Christian humans in this movie. And as we know, if evolution is true, that wouldn't be the case. Also, I have, I have something that I thought of that only occurred to me this time watching it that I wanted to bring up. That, um, Please. let me read through real quick. All right, so King Caesar in this film seems to represent the savior of the old world, whereas Godzilla mm-hmm. is the savior of the new world. But neither of them can beat the threat, which is Mechagodzilla alone. You see, Godzilla gets, he can tank the missiles, but the beam just like injures him and he has to go heal. Caesar can deflect the beam, but the missiles just body him. So it's the coming together of new and old. I guess you could say new and old testament, or I don't know wherever you want to take that, that train. But um, the coming together of the saviors is what ultimately thwarts the anti savior, I guess you'd call. Look at this. Look at all three of us. We all are three. a cult. We are a cult. <laughs> oh, this is historic. I love I love I love overthinking this stuff. What they should have done is put the Pitaro, what is it, the Pitaro earrings on and done the well just fusion. <laughs> oh, the fusion. Oh, yeah. oh my yeah. god. Cause see they, they, they complement each other, right? And then they just fuse in, but they'd have to make sure to do it right, otherwise they'd get all it's like, nice it's and like, round. It's like poetry. It rhymes. Amen. All right. All right. So as we conclude this episode, uh, I wanted to read a few reviews that we got since last episode. Um, So the first one here comes from Terry 2099. Uh, It is entitled a very thoughtful monster podcast. Hopefully that does not change after you listen to this one. Just kidding. Uh, David and Chris view these films through a very unique lens. They also dig deep into the movies, which leads to some really cool and thoughtful discussions. It's also pretty hilarious at times. All hail High Priest Menya. Thanks, Terry. Thank you, Terry. Uh, And then we also had Sam Hagler entitled, Great. I listened to a few Godzilla podcasts and these guys have an awesome perspective. Very unique and a fun way to start my Mondays. Thanks, Sam and Terry. That was very kind of you. Um, as we've talked about before, but I kind of just stopped plugging because, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, the reviews do help out quite a bit um, because people are going to go on. And I mean, there's countless, even, you know, defunct uh, Godzilla and Kaiju and Tokusatsu podcasts out there. So those kind reviews going into what to expect, it does help people decide if they want to invest in our show or not. Um, but we did my also- ego is huge and needs a lot of upkeep. That is very true. That is very true. Uh, Christian, so thanks again for joining us tonight. Um, if you wouldn't mind, take you know a little bit, plug yourself uh, where people can find you, 
Um, and then maybe talk about some stuff that you've got going on as well. Sure. First off, thank you so much for having me. It's been a blast. I love talking to you guys. Very insightful, very uh, unique perspectives to look at. So as far as my plugs, you know, Instagram, you can see me Instagram at Seaguns, C as in the ocean sea, and then guns as in G-U-N-S. And then Twitter, I'm a uh, <laughs> Twitter, Seaguns, same thing, underscore art, because some random person has Seaguns. I don't know who they are, but I'll find them one we'll day. We'll find you. <laughs> and to see my Instagram is all of my art. Twitter is art with some ramblings and random stuff and my art station is Seaguns as well and that's just straight up art like this is my portfolio you can see it right now I'm in the middle of drowning myself in uh daily drawings in which I'm uh four days behind but that's what happens when you work six days a week I guess <laughs> but uh it's called the Godzilla Thon it's my own little October type deal other than that I've got some commission work nothing nothing really big at the moment but, uh, but yeah. you are open for commissions? Ostensibly, yes. I have yes. a backlog cool. to get through, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. Would you prefer exposure or money? It depends on the flavor of the exposure. If I can eat it <laughs> or, you know. <laughs> How about we do a poll and whatever wins you have to do? Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Or I'll draw you. If anybody asks me, draw me, I will draw you. If you say you should draw so and so, I will draw so and so just because you said so. You know, just I'm just here for for the masses. You know, it's I'm just here for the memes. For the memes, yeah. Oh, I was I gonna say for the to quote retweets. <laughs> for the retweets, yeah. Yeah, I know that's kind of a divisive opinion in the art community about quote retweets. It's uh, can't really uh, find a common answer there. What do you mean quote retweets? Like just like. Uh, well so like when you retweet it but it's not you make your own post right oh, because okay, people you, are like you. you know it takes away from the original and yeah yeah, this yeah. And that and yeah i've guys, never don't steal I, art I, don't steal art it's not cool guys it's not cool just <laughs> you know give credit where credit is due every artist will thank you for it don't put our art on t-shirts it's not cool you know if you're those random that hard to give credit I know. Like, I always see a cool drawing on Instagram. I'm like, oh, who did that? Oh, they didn't. They didn't say who did it. So, artist yeah. unknown. Yeah, credit to the artist is my favorite one. That's, I like that one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it is. All it is. right. Uh, well, thank you again, everyone, for tuning into the Kaiju Apostle Podcast. If you like what you heard, have a comment you'd like to share. Make sure to let us know over at our Twitter page. Our handle is Kaiju Apostle Pod. Or you can send us an email at contact at the kaijuapostle.com. Chris is also on Twitter. You can follow him at Chris Worms, W-E-R-M-S. Uh, right now, I think you are still on a Sentai break, or did you pick back up? No, I have not been able to watch much. So Ultraman, Ultraman Z, and um, pretty much YouTube clips. I'm suffering through the second half of Beast Morphers, but yeah, I'm still on the He's suffering. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm not even going to get started. But until next time, may Mothra watch over you, Godzilla empower you, and High Priest Moist Minya bring you joy. 